Welcome to GE Vital Voices, where we help move the conversation and solutions forward. GE Healthcare is focused on precision health. Doctors, nurses and clinicians are often under-resourced and overburdened. And COVID-19 has brought this front and center. Solving the industry's productivity challenges by improving access, enabling more precise patient diagnosis and treatment, shortening hospital stays and wait times, and lowering overall costs is more pressing now than ever. GE Healthcare is about delivering on the future of healthcare by enabling precision health, integrated, efficient, and highly personalized care. Welcome to another episode of GE Vital Voices. My name is Elena Schutz and I'm a journalist who frequently works in the healthcare space. This is the podcast where we look at the issues really affecting healthcare professionals and those interested in public health in South Africa and beyond. Let's have a conversation about everything that's vital to you. When we talk about the healthcare sector in South Africa, it is very easy to focus on the challenges and the shortcomings. And that is a valid conversation to have, one that we frequently have on this podcast. But what about the game changes? What about the things that make the hard just a bit easier and the good even better? In this episode, we'll be looking at how healthcare really gets better and how the lives of doctors and patients are improved through innovations big and small. To help me with this conversation, I am, of course, not alone. From GE Healthcare, we have Mark Stace, who joins us from Dubai. He is the Imaging General Manager for Emerging Markets. Now, of course, you may know that they're the brand that supports this podcast, but GE does a lot more than that specifically in the healthcare innovation space. For instance, during the pandemic, their remote technologies have trained healthcare staff and they are using artificial intelligence to improve patient care, such as in breast cancer diagnosis. And then also with me today is Dr. Michelle Mulder from the South African Medical Research Council. She works with the Global Health Innovation Accelerator, which is a joint project between PATH and the SAMRC. It was launched in 2014, and it boosts development of innovations in South Africa and the continent. So both of my guests are well-versed about innovation, and I'm sure we'll learn a thing or two from them. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Now, Mr. Stace, let's start with you. To set the scene, what do we really mean when we say innovation? What counts as innovative in healthcare? So thank you. I would look at innovation. It can be as simple as circling a the muscle of the heart. For example, when you're trying to look at an ejection fraction to understand how the heart is beating. And when you think about that, it's a time-intensive activity. And typically, it, it requires a lot of mundane steps. So when we think about innovation, it can be as simple as automating the steps to process that data to even more advanced technologies where we can think about the idea of introducing a new tracer for an oncology treatment that not only localizes the lesions and, and disease, but also provides a therapeutic. So when I think about innovation, it can span the range uh, from all those areas, whether that's on operational efficiency, simplifying tasks for the day-to-day towards more advanced technologies that make a larger difference on on overall well-being and improvement of patients. Hmm. 
Dr. Mulder, what are some of the important innovations you have seen happen over the last few years in South Africa? What really stands out for you when we talk about innovations? So thank you. Um, I guess if we think about the, the last two years, we think about COVID. So I, I don't want to keep narrow it down to that specifically, but I think it does highlight a number of important innovations and new ways of working that have come out in the last two years. So if I think specifically in South Africa, you know, some of the innovations that have come out are, are really let's say, not so much new, exciting breakthrough products that the world has never seen, but really new ways of working, new ways of responding rapidly, of adapting international technologies to the local setting and the local context. So it's it's really about um, harnessing those technologies that are out there that have been used in other applications and then adapting them to what you need now, which obviously in the last two years has been COVID. So we've sort of spearheaded the development of local diagnostics to ensure self-sustainability in South Africa. There's also obviously been the National Ventilator Project. Beyond COVID, you know, there's a number of exciting innovations that we're aware of, particularly in the maternal and child health space. So looking specifically at what are the main areas of mortality and morbidity and how do we address those? So one of them, for example, is postpartum hemorrhage. And in a third world setting, you don't always have oxytocin available for intravenous it often fails as the first-line treatment. So we know about a simple device that's been developed in South Africa, a uterine balloon tamponade that you can just um, use on the spot by a midwife uh, you know, who just needs a limited amount of training and can stop bleeding until the mother can be t- taken to an emergency facility. Another example is a device that can, can be used to look at fetal heart rate and, and fetal uh, placental sufficiency. And that we've shown is picking up um, high-risk pregnancies that are on the surface of them seem to be lower risk and really showing fetal distress that needs to be intervened. I think one more I'd like to mention is um, maybe in the more sophisticated space is, is in anesthesia. Uh, you know, a simple device like which is known as the, the um, secure airway clamp that you put in your mouth that's able to secure the, the actual tube, secure the airway, protect the teeth prevent occlusion, um, etc. That's the kind of simple device that uh, can actually revolutionize how people are anesthetized, uh, you know, every time you go into an operation. And that's just been tested in a study at the University of the Free State and really shown remarkable results. So, you know, from the big pieces of equipment down to these little devices that can really change the way um, medicine is practiced and the outcomes, I think that to me is, is really what innovation is about. Mm. So I'm really hearing that it's not about how shiny and complex something is, but about the impact it has in a particular context, something that might be helpful in a different country that has a different setup, may not be innovative here at all, or at least not impactful and effective. Absolutely. Uh, you know, it's, it's about what, what solution is that device or, or that technology is addressing and, and how adequately it's addressing and what kind of in, impact it can have as opposed to all the bells and whistles. Hmm. Mr. Stace, is there anything from your side that you want to add about um, when we're talking about great examples? Yeah, so so I think indeed uh, what Dr. Mulder is, is commenting on, another example and around the concept of how do we look at the markets and the needs within that specific market to, to the point of it's not about the bells and whistles. If we take another example from the pandemic, you know, based in Dubai, very focused on at the time the surroundings that we had here 
and the inability to have fast diagnosis, for example, the PCR test that wasn't getting back fast enough, you had a large volume of patients coming through. How do you keep hospitals from infecting, uh, becoming this infection giants that they could become? So there was a lot of activity ongoing. I contacted a research colleague of mine who now is a chairman of a hospital in China, and I have a medical director that works for me as well. So we contacted her and asked her, what are you doing in China to, to manage these cases? And so we learned about what they're doing there to triage patients, how they're moving people through. We contacted several others globally as prior uh, colleagues of mine elsewhere in the world. And we learned the different processes they were taking. From this knowledge, we then started to look at how could we affect this locally. And so what we ended up doing was creating these containers for CT systems because in order to get a rapid feedback, the beginning of the COVID before the PCR tests were available everywhere and the quality was improved, the best way to look at it was to look under a CT to look at the diagnostic visualization that we know as a ground glass effect on the lung. And so what we did with that is we said, okay, we have these containers, we put a CT in, how do we make sure that we keep our people working on the system safe? So we also had devices that allowed us to automatically place the patient into the CT for the exam. And then also the operation we could do remotely so that we had safety mechanisms put in place to, to be careful for the patients. We utilized very low dose radiation exposure to these patients and then remotely supported them through novel technologies. And again, novel being what we weren't using in the past because there was this limitation to what people were willing to do prior to the uh, pandemic that we all now have much more comfort with uh, remote activities uh, as well. So that's an example of uh, how we take multiple things from different markets and integrate it to something that develops and supports where we are. Uh, taking that a step further, one of the other innovations that we're currently working on for Africa is around the primary care space, around the screening space, where if we take a look at oncology as an example in breast, Many of the patients that we're seeing are in late stage. We see them too late into the uh, cancer diagnosis, stage three and four, so it becomes more of a palliation. We, we support them uh, in the journey. Instead of being able to go earlier and be able to uh, treat them at the earlier stages where the improvements can be made. So what we're looking at now is how do we take this concept of the container and expand it to primary care? Whereas we can install an x-ray system, we can put a mammography device, we can put in uh, ultrasound, other devices, ECG for all types of primary care support, and then look at how we take advantage of green energy. So with solar capabilities, with other types of green energy that we need to start to look at more and more in our part of the world, we can then put these type of devices and bring it out into the remote villages in some parts of Africa, uh, and, and then we can deploy this. Now, the challenge you have there, again, innovation-wise, is how do I support those patients? Because we don't have necessarily all the education of the staff, and we don't have the right people in the right places. So that comes back to how we take advantage and leapfrog. One of the great experiences I've seen is the ability to utilize mobile phone services much better than in the Western world. Uh, and this is something we can take advantage of. And with this new technology that we developed is a command center kind of environment, we can have the experts in the major cities then support these remote locations so that we can give the same level of care out into the villages as you can in a major metropolitan area. So these are the type of innovations when I think about excitement and opportunities that we can change. Hmm. 
That's really interesting and exciting. Dr. Mulder, if some of our listeners who are healthcare workers are listening to this and thinking, that's wonderful, but I am in a resource scarce area, perhaps I don't have fancy labs and equipment. Innovation clearly isn't for me. I'm already so overloaded. What would you say to that? What are really the core skills and resources that we need to innovate? So thank you. I think that's uh, a very good question. Maybe I should start it by saying that the best innovations actually come from those frontline healthcare workers, the best ideas. You know, they're the ones who can tell us um, where the issues are, what pieces of equipment don't work or what's not practical within their own settings. So, you know, I do think they need to be a voice for the innovators to, to, to send through the ideas of exactly what is needed. But, I, you know, again, that just comes down to what I said earlier, that innovation isn't about large, shiny equipment. It's about taking what's out there, what's available, and adapting it to the context. So, you know, when you're looking at a remote area, for example, your, your innovation really comes from how do you take something, make it portable, Connected, but without having to completely rely on communication networks that may not be available. Um, and then that don't rely on a cold chain, for example. I mean, we do know that there is a, generally a fridge available in, in every village because of the soft drinks available, but, um, you know, you can't rely on that. So you, know, you need to be designing medicines, vaccines, other technologies that are not completely reliant on a full cold chain. Um, you need to have technologies that are portable that have a very, very low um, training requirement because you're not going to have the specialists available every day in all of the clinics to be able to use these devices. There has to be training of even down to community healthcare workers if necessary or um, you know, the nursing staff within these clinics. So um, it's really about taking a, a device that might, one might use in a more urban setting and a sophisticated setting and seeing how you can innovate around that to make it appropriate and context-specific in a rural setting. Mm. Now, on the back of that, and you mentioned this a little bit already earlier, Mr. Stice, but technology is obviously a big part of the future innovations that we might see. But how do we balance that with implementing things on the ground, which is often a lot messier than perfect ideas? That's a great question. And it's an extremely important one, as we can introduce whatever high-end equipment you would like into a facility. If you do not focus on education and training, it will not add value to the community. And I think education and training are key to success. And as we look at our populations and look at unemployment, are the things that we can do to support education and training of people to do the things as we were just highlighting in the remote locations? Do we need to have necessarily always the top experts in those locations? Or can we train up to a certain skill level so that we can provide the needed outcomes. I'll just give you an example uh, of a screening program in, in the, on the continent where they looked at taking 19 million women and screening them from the age of 18 all the way to an elderly age and looking at the screening process for breast cancer. And they did this across the entire population. Now, at the same time, how do you make sure you have enough people to do that screening? And the screening, by definition, is a lot of background history that you take in. How do you take that and combine it with, you know, manual tests and doing all the other things that uh, need to be done in the case of for breast screening? 
That's before you start to do any innovative technology. At the same time, you have to have a staff that can actually support that. And so that's where we spend a significant effort to make sure that we can provide the right education and training uh, and solutions allowing the physician level or the technologist level or the lab you know, at the various levels of an organization. How do you make it possible to provide these type of screening programs? And I think that's where we um, have to be certain to focus on, which is innovation around education. We learn very differently today than we did years ago. We need to adapt our styles to address the needs of the current youth that's coming through. And that's a huge opportunity for us to capture and improve because indeed there's not so much we can do if we don't have the staff that can operate these systems. So that's where new technologies come into place. How do we make sure that we make it capable for a, a, a nine-year-old who's coming up utilizing an Apple phone all the time and only knowing how to utilize that versus knowing how to program in C and C, C plus that maybe I learned on, on computer uh, systems. And I think that's where we have to adapt and also have to design our systems differently. And so there's the education component, the understanding of how people are utilizing things differently today, and that has to evolve into what we make as a product as well to, to build that simplification. Mm. Yeah, that's such an important part because obviously education is just as important for the future as technology is. And speaking of the future, Dr. Mulder, what are you hoping for or what are you already excited about in terms of future innovations that we might see? So again, I'd like to pick up on uh, what Mr. Stirs was talking about, um, which is the screening. Uh, you know, to me, the, there's, I think, three buzzwords. One is preventative medicine. The second one is personalized medicine. And the third one is digital health and sort of interconnectedness. I think we've spent far too much try time trying to treat diseases and disorders once they're here and that you know often it's too late uh, it causes severe heartache and obviously um, difficulty for the, for the patient if we could identify upfront potential problems by screening broad screening um, and start to prevent them uh, so that we don't have to you know spend so much time treating then I think we can really revolutionize healthcare. It is sometimes hard to understand and to look at the economics of it because you, you know, broad spread screening of a 7 billion people population is not a cheap thing to do, uh, as opposed to just treating, you know, the, 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 the percentage that do get sick. But what it can do, if, you know, if one does the numbers, it actually does work out, um, to be more economical. Uh, but not just that, obviously, but for, for patient health outcomes as well. If we can prevent diseases before they come or at least uh, get an early warning sign and start to, to change lifestyle or treat early or whatever, then I think that makes a huge difference. The other one is personalized medicine. And I think particularly sitting in an African setting where it's been very clearly proven that not all drugs work the same on all populations. You know, we have different population groups. We have to customize the treatments. We have to really customize the way patients are, as I say, treated, um, depending on um, on their genetic diversity. And that's where these big new technologies, the, the high throughput whole genome sequencing and the pharmacogenomics, etc., are, are becoming very, very important. And then the last one, of course, is digital health. I think we need to be better connected. There's a lot of time wasted with paper filling in our forms that you know never get then moved to the next doctor and you start all over again or you miss information. If it was digitized and there was this sort of interconnectedness 
between your healthcare providers it result in massive um, efficiencies. But it, the other thing it does is it, to some extent, puts the responsibility for health back onto the patient themselves. And that, that is a trend we're seeing, is that patients are taking more responsibility and making more of their own decisions around their health. And they're much more empowered to do so if they have access to digital tools, to information, to their own healthcare information, etc. So I think um, making sure we prevent diseases, we uh, look at personalized medicine to tailor-make solutions to the individual, and then also this in- better interconnectedness and digitization of healthcare, I think really massively revolutionized healthcare overall. That was a great summary. I want to end off the conversation as I always do on this podcast, which is to ask both of you to say in just a sentence or two, if I were a healthcare worker listening to this, what is the one thing you would like me to take away from this conversation? Dr. Mulder? Thank you. So I would say don't be scared of change. Embrace it. And the reason I say that is is one of the biggest barriers to introduction of new innovations is the resistance to changing the way things are currently done. So embrace it. All these innovations are designed to, to improve healthcare and to make it easier for the healthcare workers. So it may be a small discomfort or uncomfortable time um, in trying to you know, adopt a new technology, but push through it and hopefully it makes your life easier. How about you? Look, I would take a step back. Healthcare or say medicine is an art before it's a science. And I think with art and science, there's a lot of experimentation. There's a lot of individual contribution. So as as an individual working in the healthcare field, there's a lot that you can do if you have an open mind, if you're willing to try new things. And I think provide an understanding of what works well in your specific situation and look at how you can make a difference. I think that's the, what most people, as they get into healthcare anyway, the altruism of supporting and helping people is part of that. And I think we can't lose that in everything we do. It's all about helping people, whether they're in pain, whether they're sick, uh, their family member, everyone we need needs to look at around this idea. And we can innovate in all those aspects, whether you're moving a patient around a hospital how you engage that patient to make it a less stressful environment. There's innovation that we can do in that space to the most advanced treatment that we can think of. So uh, I think we can all be responsible for innovating what we do uh, to improve the the health and lives of others. That's a great note to end on. Thank you both so much for joining me for this conversation. It's been my My pleasure. pleasure. Thank you. That was Dr. Michelle Mulder from the South African Medical Research Council and Mark Stites from GE Healthcare. My name is Elna Schutz and you have been listening to GE Vital Voices. Healthcare has never been more accessible, intelligent or dynamic. It's also never been under more pressure. That's where GE Healthcare comes in. You and we, the clinicians and professionals on the front lines of delivering healthcare for your patients and communities. Also, those building the intelligent devices, data analytics, applications and services to enable you to do so more efficiently and with better outcomes. Together, we're at the center of an ecosystem striving for precision health. We release new episodes every month and you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Find out more on gehealthcare.africa and we're on social media like Facebook, LinkedIn and Twitter as GE Africa. 